we're going to tell some of the stories about the early restoration movement and who we are, but not today. Today we're going to try to set up a few things, next week set up a few more things. But have you ever gone back to a place you thought you knew well as a child, only to be astonished at how small it looked? The big church building that was tiny, the big room that was tiny, um, the big town that was tiny. Have you ever shared memories around the table with other people, other members of your family, and you're certain that what they were remembering didn't happen? I had one of my sisters would always laugh and say, do you remember when you, and I didn't do any of those things. We, we would, I, on the way home, I would try to correct it with Cammy, saying, I don't know what brother she had, but that wasn't me. When you visit the past, you find out a lot of the things that you thought were true weren't, and a lot of the things you thought were wrong weren't. That's why studying heroes can sometimes mean they're not your heroes anymore. You can study Lincoln about setting people free, and that's a great thing, but he also imprisoned people for speaking. He shut down newspapers. He uh, suspended habeas corpus. You know, when you study, you find out that your heroes had flaws. Thomas Jefferson not only had slaves, but at least was sexually involved with one of them, and DNA has proven it. We could go on and on. When we look at our papers, and you're going to be offered um, two different papers today near the end, uh, and one is the Declaration and Address, which we've talked about when I, the first Sunday I came, actually, uh, before I came. That was back in like November or whatever. Uh, and so we're going to talk about that story again. This is a document of founding principles, but also the last will and testament of the Springfield Presbytery. Now, a lot of you don't know that one, and we'll tell the story of it later on in this series, but basically what happened was a lot of other people thought, let's just get back to the Bible, but they didn't know how to get back to the Bible without organizing, so they organized themselves as the Springfield Presbytery until they realized God doesn't need our organization, and so they dissolved it. And they said, we want to be dissolved and just join all Christians everywhere. And these are the original leaders of the Stone-Campbell movement. Last will and testament was done by Stone, Barton W. Stone. The declaration and address by Thomas Campbell, approved by Alexander Campbell. What were our principles? Our principles were different. Barton W. Stone had no problem attending weeks-long meetings run by all different churches in an area without criticizing anything they said or did. He insisted, in fact, that no barriers be existed between us and other churches and that all churches should remove those barriers. These festivals would sometimes take place in the open air because no buildings could hold as many people as came. Tables were set with linen, and, and dinnerware that here you would eat, but you would also do the Lord's Supper and you'd be having the Lord's Supper with Catholics and Methodists and uh, un the, the United Brethren, the Plymouth Brethren with uh, uh, the Disciples of Christ eventually would be there, the Catholics all, all at the same table and taking the communion every day that you could, you could be with each other. Stone attended and preached at more than a dozen of these that we have records of in one summer, a dozen, 1861. The largest was at Stony Creek, where 10,000 people stayed for a week, setting aside everything just to hear. Other churches, most 
notably the Presbyterians, also joined in and started their own communion festivals. They started calling them 12 days of communion festivals. Kids, I know the church can be a pain. Think about this. At least it's not then. 12 days long. And it didn't really stop. There were singing and preaching going on everywhere. And Stone also did something else that might surprise you. He taught that heresy was not false doctrine, and he was right. Let me tell you an East Tennessee story. We used to rescue parrots. Long story, uh, but we really loved it and did that for about eight years and and enjoyed it. Uh, I was in East Tennessee speaking at a church when, uh, during lunch, one person said, so you've got a parrot, because we kept one that just stayed with us. And I said, yes, I do. And he said, isn't, isn't it ill? And I froze. Because how, why would somebody ask me if my parrot was sick? And we went back and forth for a while until I realized what he was asking was, doesn't it have a bad temper? In East Tennessee, ill means bad temper. And when I read, I went, no, 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 it's, you know, and went on from there. And he got very embarrassed when he realized we were speaking two different languages there. But this was, you know, it's East Tennessee people. Uh, so, and I, and I speak English. Um, so we, we, we often do that with religion as well. You, you'll hear heresy because you're teaching false doctrine. In scripture, heresy wasn't teaching false doctrine. Heresy was being false. Not about your doctrine, about your character, your life, who you were. Being a false teacher didn't mean you were teaching something other than Paul. It meant you were a false person. And your teaching was corrupted by your lusting after money, lusting after uh, sex, lusting after power. Heresy was all about the character of the individual, not the creed. So he said, book union. He said, there are, there, are, there are false unity pathways. There are four of them. One, book union. He says, it'll fail. It relies upon the authority of creeds, but creeds by their very existence separate us. Then head union. He said, when we all understand the Bible exactly alike, we'll be unified, except that we'll never all understand the Bible alike. We're about two more slides in if you've got those. There you are. Yet, he says, sincere believers will not be able to unify in a head union because we will always have different experiences and different takes. In fact, he said this, each one believes that his opinion of certain text to be the very spirit and meaning of the text and that this opinion was absolutely essential to salvation. Does that sound, is he accurate? That's the way we are. He said correctly, the only reason between opinion, only difference between opinions and creeds is somebody wrote down the creed. We've all lived in churches with unwritten creeds, have we not? How comfortable was that? Head union's not going to do it. He, he said the plan of uniting on opinions, whether contained in a book or in a head, is not worth a straw and never can affect Christian union or the union of primitive Christianity. Then there was water union, the acceptance of all who were baptized. But he said, that agreement won't hold people together if they disagree about other doctrines. Then fire union, united by the fire of the Holy Spirit, which changes hard and unloving hearts into soft, loving ones. One of his greatest fears was that this movement would unite on the Bible without possessing the Spirit 
of the book. Anybody else want to say ouch? He said this, let every Christian begin the work of union in himself. Wait upon God. Pray for the promise of the Spirit. Rest not till you are filled with the Spirit. Then, and not till then, will you love the brethren. Only then will you have the Spirit of Jesus to love the fallen world. May all that profess the name of Jesus be filled with the Spirit and bring forth the fruits of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, and goodness. There are so many others that we can talk about here. Do you know these names? Nancy Cram, Abigail Roberts, that's her picture, that's why she's underlined. Anne Rexford, Sarah Hedges, Clarissa Danforth, Sally Thompson. Does any of these names ring a bell with anybody in the room? See, that's what history does. We go back and we scrub it. All of these were preachers in the early churches of Christ. Women. Testosterone deficient humans. <laughs> Yes, preachers. Starting in 1812, Nancy Cram worked not only with the local church, she was their missionary to an American uh, tribe of, of, of Indians, the Oneidas. And the Christian Connection, one of those streams of our restoration movement that, that was based in New England, they reached out to her and took her in. She became their missionary in upstate New York. She converted seven, seven men who later became prominent preachers in our tribe. Abigail Roberts converted hundreds and established four congregations. Some local denominations tried to run her out of town and she was threatened with being tarred and feathered, but she continued to preach. These women were supported by the New England Christians in their paper called the Herald of Gospel Liberty, the first religious paper published in America. And it was published by the movement we are in and it supported these women the Presbyterians rose up against Smith, um, one of the early preachers, and the female preachers, one of their ministers, Gilbert McMaster. Now listen, people, I love Scotland, but we're not easy to get along with. We're just not. And sometimes when you hear a Scottish name, you need to back up just another couple feet, just so that this doesn't get on you. <laughs> Gilbert McMaster wrote a book attacking not only the doctrines of our church, the Restoration Movement, he said they're non-Calvinist. That's true. They, they teach freedom and religion. Ooh. Yeah. And they have female preachers. But he also attacked the very intelligence of the women preachers. Let me just say this. I find that it is very hard to attack somebody's doctrine without eventually attacking them eventually thinking less of them. And here's an example. He wrote that Cram was neither remarkable, was remarkable, neither for that delicacy of mind, which is the ornament of her sex, nor for that information and good sense by which so many of them are characterized. She is abundantly gifted with that spirit of her head, which opposes literature, order, and whatever Christians have considered as of vital importance to the interest of religion. She never studies and compliments her maker with being the author of her crude invectives. Well, as long as you're being nice about it. People, I've sounded that badly. I've sounded that angry. I've been that judgmental. I understand. But watch out. 
did you know that we had that many? Did you know that Presbyterians rose up a coalition of religious leaders to stomp out the plague, quote, plague of female preachers among the Campbellites? That would be you if you didn't know. Ironically, all the denominations in his coalition have long now had female preachers. And in the churches of Christ, we're still thinking. That's interesting. History moves on, doesn't it? Things change. This was more than just women preaching, by the way. They were terrified because it meant that this is a groundswell where women might actually start thinking for themselves. Thank God that never happened. says, if you let them do this, they will want to become educated and read the Bible for themselves. This went against the Victorian ideal. The Victorian, yes, that came from Britain as well. No wonder you shot us. Um, of the woman being quiet in the home, being mistress of the house, and doing whatever the master said. But women preachers in our movement pressed on. One of them was named Nancy Toll. She was a school teacher in New Hampshire when she believed well, uh, that she received a calling to preach. Over the next decade, she traveled on the days where you had to walk 10,000 miles. When she went to preach at a Methodist church in Pennsylvania, you see, we used to preach at any church. And most of us still will now. Things are changing again, but we won't want to get ahead of the story. The, me the members were very excited, but the clergy stepped in at that Methodist church and stopped it. One said, a woman shall not preach here, only to have a member shout back, the woman can preach better than the one that does preach here. <laughs> she continued to speak, and a quote from her from that sermon, I pity the people that must be priest-ridden after this sort. In other words, whose religion is based upon who speaks to them. Another place, she was told that she could not preach because it was contrary to their rules. She responded, I am astonished that professed Christians can be so much more willing, souls shall perish, than that the rules of their society shall be broken. But churches are like that, are they not? One of the things I said earlier to our visitors was, you're going to be okay here. Have you ever worried when you went to a church if you were going to do something wrong? I, you know, drink out of the holy water, not know it. You know, you're going to stand up at the wrong time. You're going to sing the wrong verse. Oh, I do youth rallies. There are different versions of every youth rally song. And whenever youth rally, and they, they're, but they're regional. You go to New Hampshire, let's say, and they don't sing it like they do in Texas. And all of a sudden, you're singing a solo. <laughs> We're not going to let that happen here. We're going to be open to you here. We're going to, and if you need us to break what we're doing to help you, we're going to break what we're doing to help you. God does not love us because we went through a series of magic acts this morning and did them just right to get the bunny. No, he loves us and we're going to love you. And if that means I can't preach as long or that you're going to talk incessantly around the table and after dismissal, fair enough. Every now and then, I think God's up there saying, Patrick's feeling a little bit too important. Have those people share another story. <laughs> and I'm okay with that. When I asked how she could continue to preach six to, times, six to eight times a week for months on end against such opposition, she credited our community. She said, I'm still a member of no community. 
I wish to be free from party spirit and to love Christians of every order. I'm accountable to no mortal, nor hath any human any control over me. That's our roots. That's who we are. Have we forgotten who we are? Sometimes I think we, we do. Um, I'm going to look up and say, Laurie, the reason we were slides behind is because I turned the wrong page. It was me. Yes. Yay, you're fine. <laughs> she does this. I think somebody got a touchdown. Are you listening to something else? <laughs> I wanna be, I'm going to go back to that second page just for a moment, shall I? And just, I'm going to do it very quickly because our time is seriously limited today. Stone wrote many, many articles in defense of all of us accepting each other regardless. I want to be very, very plain on this. Stone did not speak in charismatic tongues, but he endorsed those who did. He was not slain in the spirit, but he endorsed those who were. He was not a Catholic, but he endorsed them as brothers and sisters. He said, in fact, all of these things, if genuine religion be the fruit of such revivals, we dare not reject it without incurring the divine displeasure. That's an old American English way of saying, don't get in the way of whatever God is doing. Let God do it. By the way, he's speaking to me too. You will never know what these things are. But as I travel, as I'm here, there are things that I'll go, eh, I wouldn't have done that. But I do that inside. Why? Because God doesn't just work with me. He works with other people, and he doesn't mind annoying me. I know that, because he keeps making people and running them into my office. <laughs> people say, why do you keep your door open? Well, I thought it was going to be an exit, but there's an, there's just, it's a choke point, really, is what it is. <laughs> All right. Laurie. We are going to go. I, want, I don't want to do that to her again. Let's go to the last page there. All right, 17. In the western states, by which we mean Ohio, Indiana, Kentucky, and Missouri, female preachers were less common. Why? There were fewer females. And those that went were almost all married with children. They couldn't walk at 10,000 miles. We always have to remember that nothing happens in isolation in the universe. Are you aware of this? Not to get all science on you, but no atom, no particle works in isolation. In fact, observing a particle changes it and another particle. Quantum physics. I get so excited. But my wife says I'm not allowed to, so stop. One of the prominent ones in the West, however, was Nancy Moltke the daughter of John Moltke, one of the most highly regarded ministers in the Churches of Christ of the day. And his daughter was also a preacher, just like Philip's daughters were preachers. She was called an exhorter. Now back then, let me explain what that was. Back then, preachers would preach, but you had people then that would step up and do like a mini-sermon from the pews. That was called exhorting. I found this out when I came to America shortly. I, th I think this was after we were married, and I was in North Carolina, and I was at an African-American church, and my brother-in-law was speaking, and he stopped, and he pointed me out, and he said, 
would you exhort the people? And I'm thinking, what in the world? And I, you know, what do you do? Stand up and say, be thou exhorted. You know, so I stood up and I don't know what I said. It was probably, you know, 30 seconds of choked something. They turned to another preacher. That preacher went on for like 15 minutes. Because in that culture, they still have the exhorters. She was an exhorter. She would raise from the pews and preach there, raise from the field and preach there. The role of women as ministers became limited over time by the culture in which they found themselves. Victorian ideals of women meant that those that did not choose hearth and home were not highly regarded. Do you remember how hard it was in America for a woman to go to medical school, to become a lawyer? You don't remember. You, you've read. You, you watched the History Channel when it wasn't doing something like Ancient Aliens. Are you, that's not history. Um, anyway, that should be on the Sci-Fi Channel. Anyway, um, you, you've seen enough history to know that women used to be more prominent. But our culture did this. Now, some of you, when we did our, our six lessons here on our God and our book, which are merely an introduction to this, there's so much more to talk about, we're concerned, but what happens if the women, letting the women end all of this means that the men do less than the men are sinning? We need to be equal partners, but we don't need to stop saying, well, she's got it. We work together because we're different. If you have a church run by men, it will be not terribly pretty. What are most of our churches? What did we do in the early 1900s in particular? We stripped out the stained glass. I've been in churches where they drywalled it. We stripped out all the beauty. We took the beauty out of music as well, didn't we? We tried to sneak it in with Stamps Baxter, but that wasn't entirely successful. We, uh, we stripped out, all, and everything became solemn. There was no more movement. Everybody sat facing forward, and worship was no longer interactive. It was you observed it, and we observed the Lord's Supper. And we, do you see what happened there? My wife is, uh, evidently, you ladies are having a retreat. And I'm already, I already know what my life's going to be like. I'm going to be walking in and my wife's going to be doing things that I cannot understand. She, he, she will say, for example, she worked in Colorado. I'm working on centerpieces and each one of them are unique and have a meaning for the people that are sitting there and they have all this. And I'm going, okay, you know what we do, ladies? Men's retreats, I was in charge of centerpieces. They were open bags of Doritos. <laughs> and the guys loved them. <laughs> but if you have a church that's run by women, very often men don't come. Why? Because they often speak of emotion and community when men need more boundaries and guidance because we think in a different way. Therefore, we need the partnership. We need to work with each other. Our earliest brothers and sisters knew that. Now, I'm going to need help because we're in our last five or six minutes of this thing. Question boxes are open for this as well. And we're going to next week start looking at actual some of the stories that started the restoration movement. But I need 
uh, let's see, at least one, two, three, four, five different people to come up and hand out two different sets. Well, let's do 10 because we need somebody to hand out all of these. This is the, yeah, pop up. You're excited. Yeah. And then we need somebody to hand out those, all right? Now, once you notice that it's guys, can I talk to you for just a minute? When they say anybody who wants to hand out, to help with the Lord's Supper, I notice guys go. I'm fine with guys doing it, but it's the only meal all week a guy will serve me. Why do we think women can't serve that? Well, this church doesn't think that. Women can do that. Ladies, you need to know, you have permission when they say anybody who wants to serve, you may get up and serve. All right? So I had one person say, but a woman's not supposed to exert authority. Seriously. Later on when I go to that house, and she hands me some biscuits. Am I going to look at her and say, who do you think you are? <laughs> She's serving. It's a lovely thing. So if you have any questions about, if you're new and you're thinking, what about women? What? Go online, listen to Our God and Our Book, part one through part six. If you survive that, you're, you're in. But you just need to know how different it was. We had churches with instruments and those without. We had churches that were pacifist. For example, Lipscomb was absolutely 100% convinced it was a send to vote. We had other Christians who voted, ran for office. Alexander Campbell spoke to a joint session of Congress. Lipscomb was a confirmed, absolute pacifist. There are other leaders like James A. Garfield in the Churches of Christ who served as generals but we had room for everybody. We accepted everybody because that's who we are. We're gonna talk about how we slid into fundamentalism along with the rest of the culture and how we're coming out faster than others. Now, uh, let me explain that one and then we'll be done for the day. I gave two talks at Pepperdine on this because most of the people at Pepperdine don't go to Churches of Christ and most of the people that work there aren't members of the Churches of Christ. And so the, the president asked me to come tell his faculty, you're a Church of Christ school, so this is what the Church of Christ is? Fun. Well, one of the things that I got was asked was, why is the Church of Christ today so different? When I go to different church websites, they're all different. Because we don't have a hierarchy. We're able to change quickly. You know one of the reasons why the Russians lost the Cold War? Chain of command. You want one of the reasons why the war we're in now in America is the longest war in our history? Chain of command. It used to be when a soldier saw something, the soldier could take care of something. Not anymore. There are rules of engagement. They've got to go through all of these little rules of engagement, run it past the lawyers up at JAG Corps. They've got to do all this other before they can take care of it, and therefore it doesn't get taken care of. We don't have that. If the Fourth Avenue Church decides that we're all going to wear blue, we can. We don't have to ask permission. If we decide we're going to have instruments sometimes and acapella sometimes, we can do it. Those of you that might be a little frightened, I'm going to always re reassure you. We love our connection to the churches of Christ. We are not going to change our name. We're going to redeem its history. We're going to return it to what it was. 
we're not going, we're going to use instruments because we're free to do so, and quite frankly, they add to a lot of songs. But we will not always use them, and they will not overwhelm the words. We're not going to go from a participation church to a performance church. Don't worry about that. I've had people say, oh, good, then we're not going to have electric guitars. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, if we do have one, it won't be turned to 11. How's that? You spinal, you spinal tap fans, and we know who you are. We will do this as a community. Don't you dare think that the shepherds are somewhere in one room and I'm in the other and I'm plotting where we're headed. No, shepherds and I work together and you work with us and your voice is terribly important because this community may not look like the Church of Christ down the street, but isn't that all right? Because those people need a place for community. We need a place for community. If there are enough communities, there'll be enough communities for everybody so we're fine with this this is who we are is it who we're going to be tomorrow nope because as I've told you before if you don't like change you picked the wrong universe everything changes and one of these days I'm going to be sitting in the pew when one of my grandsons or granddaughters is doing something in worship you may I don't know maybe a interpretive dance of the book of Leviticus And I'm going to go, uh, but they're not doing it for me. They're doing it for God and their community. Are we willing to let God be God and we just go for the ride? Have a look at our documents, and we'll start telling the stories next week. I hope you've enjoyed start of this, and we're going to have fun through it. All right? All right, cheerio, go away.